0: This is an extremely peaceful protest and one that looks set to go on for some time. No indication whatsoever, Neil, at this point that Seattle officials are about to send the police back in or indeed the National Guard. Neil? You're listening to Fox News. They are giving coverage to the Seattle Autonomous Zone, uh, the protesting that's been going on in the United States here uh, for the last three weeks because of the George Floyd video and the, uh, what do they call it, the the tipping of the scale, the camel that, or the uh, straw that broke the camel's back. It's all those things and much, much more. Um, we're here and this is the Urantia Radio podcast and we've got a lot of cool stuff to talk about. We're going to dive very deep into one of my favorite papers that has everything to do with understanding what we're going through right now, maybe in the United States, but, uh, certainly around the world and other countries as well as we, uh, You know, evolution is an interesting process. We're watching evolution at a very accelerated rate, I think. Don't you think? kind of get that feeling sometimes that uh, a lot is being compacted uh, in in a short period of time? I mean, how long did it take to go from a pandemic to this uh, protest that we've been seeing? Not very long. In fact, they're both happening at the same time simultaneously. So not only are we having to galvanize and... Uh, I was thinking about this today, and this is the way it works in God's universe, because no matter how bad things are, there's always some lesson that gets pulled out of that, and there's always some benefit. Everything always works for the greater good, for the greatest number of people, for the greatest amount of time. Isn't that somewhere in the Arantia book where it talks about how to determine what is the right course of action uh, when the Most High is ruled in the kingdoms have been? And so we have this pandemic. We also know from the Orangia book that we're operating at a disadvantage, human beings are, because the default of Adam, and also because we're an experimental world, and because we're an experimental world, they knew that we were more susceptible to diseases, that they were hoping to correct this when we were biologically uplifted by Adam and Eve, and although we were, and we did re- receive a taint amount of, of their blood, uh, mitochondrial eve, uh, we, uh, we didn't get enough to push away a lot of the common viruses that we're having to deal with. So we are prone, probably more than many evolutionary worlds, to diseases. So what I'm trying to say is that this coronavirus that erupted, basically putting the world in lockdown, correct? Correct. Uh, well, the benefit of that is, is that we as a human race are now having to deal with on a collective level, a virus, and it's not going to be the only time that we have to deal with this. This kind of thing is going to happen over and over, uh, because that's just, we're more susceptible to the, the little bacteria and, uh, we're getting better at it. Obviously we've cured so many wonderful, um, you know, diseases, but, The the challenge is always there. And this latest pandemic actually brought together great minds, uh, great effort, great infrastructure. We're learning along the way. So when the next one comes, we'll be even more prepared, uh, hopefully, to deal with it. That's what we pray for, right? That's what we hope for. So I'm pulling up Paper 70. And by the way, I do want to do a shameless plug for my website, which is in itself. Uh, an evolutionary process, and it's basically what I like to think of it is it, it's a quick stop just to check in, see what's going on with the Urantia News because on the first uh, page there's quick look it's all the stuff that's going on in the Urantia community from the foundation and the association, and also uh, the the fellowship. So I always try to keep stuff current. I'm basically just pulling in news from their sites. Yeah. And then also we have the, the podcasts, which are updated every week. And I encourage you to go back and listen to some of the older ones. Man, there's some doozies of some original. I think we have Meredith Sprunger in the archive somewhere, talking about the mission of the Orangia book. And for those who don't know, Meredith was a pioneer uh, in the 60s, even as the book was just published. He, I remember the story he tells about this, uh, Indi- I think it was an Indiana State Supreme Court judge by the name of Hammerschmidt that gave him a copy of the Arantia book. And the, uh, the, the you know, uh, Meredith said, yeah, I don't want to read this thing. He carried it around with him for six months and he knew he was going to see Judge Hammerschmidt again and he said, I better give this a read. So he and his wife were traveling somewhere and he opened up the book and he started reading the life and teachings of Jesus. And he said uh, that was about the time that he realized that what he had in his hands was worth further investigation. So he actually went to Chicago and met with Sadler and said, what is this book? Because Meredith Sprunger was a minister and he was also a scholar. He was a professor. Uh, he taught Indiana Tech, I think. Um, anyway, the, uh, he passed away a few years ago. And I had a couple of opportunities meet him to meet him. And somewhere in my own archives are those interviews. I'll have to dig those up for you someday. But on these Your Rancher Radio podcast archives, there is, there are a few, I think, two early segments with Meredith. Uh, I'll go back and check. But anyway, I just encourage you to check out my website uh, if you are just wanting to stay connected with the latest. You can also get our uh, iTunes uh, and Spotify. Both carry our podcasts. We're also on smart speakers, so if you can... Uh, tell your Alexa or your Siri that, that if you could somehow get it to understand your Rancha Radio podcasts, uh, sometimes it'll find it and uh, you can listen to the latest podcast on your smart speaker. So that's kind of cool. I also want to mention that next week, which is June 20th, I don't normally like to mention things that are dated, but we'll go ahead and give it a shot. Next week, I'm going to pull it up for you right now. Uh, there is going to be a seminar. Um, I believe, is this the workshop? Yes, it's Saturday, June 20th, and it's uh, Eastern time is 1 to 5 p.m., and there is a workshop being prepared by the Orange Book Fellowship, and it's about advancing our universe progress, making connections, it's about putting our lives in a purposeful and spiritual context, it's the incredible integration of all the ideas into an amazing unified whole. So what is it and where is it? Well, go to, I'm going to give you an email address and you're going to reach out to a gentleman by the name of Ken Kaiser. And the email address is urantiaeducation at gmail.com and it gives you an opportunity to register. I don't know. I think it's online. I think it might be one of those uh, video conferencing things. But either way, find out. Just email urantiaeducation at gmail.com, Urantia Education at gmail.com so I want to talk about now we're going to kind of get into the fun stuff here Uh, I want to go to paper 70 and I want to uh, dive into a segment that has everything to do with what we're dealing with right now in our society it's pretty cool Uh, and we're going to jump ahead to uh, section 9 if you want to join with me that's cool in this paper, the evolution of human government. It uh, up to this point, the preceding eight chapters are really going back in time, uh, starting from the very beginning when humanity first started having associations and clans and clubs and caste systems, and the Aranchiba goes through those different phases uh, and explains to us how laws sort of evolve over time through trial and error, and how human beings, uh, it's very interesting, uh, and in paper 9, it, it, it now we're in that period of existence of human government where we start thinking about things like human rights, like, you know, you hear this social justice, this is the word we're hearing all over the world today, social justice, right? Well, uh, I want to read through paper nine. I'm going to kind of jump around here and there. I'm going to jump in a little bit too. Uh, and we'll just get going. And, and, and then we're going to try to take some of what we're reading today and apply it with some hopefully some insight that we can get in trying to understand what is happening in our world and why it's happening. So here's what the revelators share with us. Now, I'll always put this into context. Uh, if taken at face value... These are the words of beings that are spiritual, and they don't live here. They live where we're going, and they have all kinds of knowledge about things and how different worlds have evolved over time, and and they know what other races have gone through. More than we do, you know. If you think in terms of eternal, if these beings are in fact beings that don't die, and they've been around for. You know, time is different for eternal beings. You're not, you know, it's like the second, uh, eternity Eternity does not have a second hand. Uh, someone told me that. I think it was Chris Halverson. I may have heard it somewhere. Eternity does not have a second hand. When you're living in eternity, time is completely a different phenomena. And so to these, you know, revelators, they're sharing with us a perception about us in, in context of how other races have also evolved. So they write, uh, in paper Chapter 9 of Paper 70, Human Rights, Nature confers no rights on man, only life and a world in which to live it. Nature does not even confer the right to live, as might be deduced by considering what would happen if an unarmed man met a hungry tiger face-to-face in the primitive forest. Society's prime gift to man is security. Gradually, society asserted its rights, and at present time, they are the assurance of food, military defense, internal peace, the right to get married, have a family, the right to own property, uh, the right to uh, have group competition uh, and, and, and organizations, provisions for educating and training our young, promotion of trade and commerce, industrial development. You know, I remember when I used to take my kids over to soccer every Saturday morning. And I used to marvel at the fact that all of these parents voluntarily at one point decided, hey, let's have soccer for kids. And they got the fields and they measured out everything and they got the equipment and they got uniforms and everybody gets involved and you have parents volunteering. And you ask yourself, you know, that is a true earmark of a society when you have that much organization on a voluntary basis, all because it's fun and because it promotes group competition and it's good at fostering the individual. Somehow in our in our evolutionary tract, human beings figured out that that was important, and I think it's important enough to recognize. Uh, then it goes on to say, When rights are old beyond knowledge of origin, they are often called natural rights. But human rights are not really natural. They're entirely social. They are relative and ever-changing, being no more than the rules of the game, recognized adjustments of relations governing the ever-changing phenomena of human competition. So when you see people like uh, AOC screaming for social justice, uh, you know, the human rights, that we're entitled to human rights, and we have a right to education, and we have a right to health care. Well, you know, you think you have a right, but really rights... Even natural rights are are not really, you know, bestowed upon us by nature. They're they're really something that we kind of came up with, and we came up with these things so long ago that people just assume that, well, you can't remember when where they came from. We came, but we're, you know, it's been in my family for years. So, dadgummit, it's a natural right. It's my right. And here they write. Uh, here's what they say. What may be regarded as right in one age may not be so regarded in another. The survival of large numbers of defectives and degenerates is not because they have any natural right thus to encumber 20th century civilization, but simply because the society of the age, the mores, thus decrees. That's an important statement there. Who are these uh, large numbers of defectives and degenerates that they're talking about? Are they talking about cultures, that are violent. Uh, let's think about all the cartels in Mexico. Let's just take a look at at, uh, at the social conditions that led to cartels basically running an entire country. People that behead people, people that have no uh, indifference to suffering. Uh, theirs is strictly motivated. And Mexico and, and Mexico's Catholic. You know... It's it's not surprising that you see some of these gang lords that are wearing crosses. Uh, that type of mentality has been allowed to foster because of our tolerance to people that would take advantage of that tolerance, and in some cases, I think they're pointing this out because uh, if if any society doesn't evolve on its own. We, have, we in America, through the collectivism uh, and the contributions of other countries over the eons of time, have gotten to this point uh, because, as the book says, these rights are so old and they were developed over time, what they call the rules of the game. They are relative and ever-changing, being no more than the rules of the game. Recognized adjustments of relations governing the ever-changing phenomena Of human competition. So as human societies evolve and they compete, they start to compete with each other over rights and and certain privileges that they think that they're entitled to. And it's an ongoing process and it's constantly changing and it's constantly in motion. So the people today that are fighting for their human rights and social justice, you know, 20, 50 years from now, there are going to be other people. They're going to be fighting for a whole group of other rights. It's constantly in motion. All right, continuing on. Few human rights were recognized in the middle uh, European Middle Ages. Then every man belonged to someone else, and rights were only privileges or favors granted by the state or the church. And the result from this error was equally erroneous in that it led to the belief that all men are born equal. Now, for those constitutionalists in the room, myself included, uh, you're gonna hear something that is not very politically correct, but it's it's worth a debate because we, it's one of those things where you have to understand the principle behind the the quote which all men are created equal. Uh, created is a concept which means that there was an idea. If God truly created us in his image, what he created was a a man that has the potential to be spiritual. The only thing about God that we can connect to uh, is spiritual. So, in the Urantia book and in other books, it says that, you know, clearly everybody has different talents and abilities, but in God's eyes, we're all equal to Him. And that's how I've always interpreted that point, okay, the uh, human right of uh, self-determination so forth, that we are in, endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights, which is to be free, self-determination, to have liberty of thought, consciousness, the ability to seek the truth, to own or buy property, or to use my body to uh, make a living, so I could live and survive. That's an inalienable right in a civilized society. Now, again, is it it really inalienable? Well, according to the Orange Book. It's not. Nature doesn't confer that. So these are rules of the game that we've developed to give us security and functionality and, pro- and progress. But there are things that society has to do, uh, and, and one of the things that we didn't do in our early age was that we let far too many weak and inferior people breed. And now that's a strong statement, but I'm going to read to you par- Paper 70 now as we continue on. The weak and inferior have always contended for equal rights. They have always insisted that the state compel the strong and the superior to supply their wants and otherwise make good those deficiencies, which all too often are the natural result of their own indifference and indolence. Look up those words sometime. And you know those, and it's it's not uh, anything to do with race, but it's an attitude. Uh, There are certain people that just don't want to work very hard, and they think they've got privilege. Right? So that's what everybody's talking about now, right? Privilege. But this equality ideal is the child of civilization. It is not found in nature. Even culture itself demonstrates conclusively the inherent inequality of men by their very unequal capacity, therefore. The sudden and non-evolutionary realization of supposed natural equality would quickly throw civilized man back to the crude usages of primitive ages. Society cannot offer equal rights to all, but it can promise to administer the varying rights of each with fairness and equity. It is the business and duty of society to provide the child of nature with a fair and peaceful opportunity to pursue self-maintenance, participate in self-perpetuation, while at the same time enjoying some measure of self-gratification, the sum of all three, constituting human happiness. Now that sounds pretty accurate. That sounds like truth. That sounds like it resonates. It is the business and duty of society to provide the child of nature with a fair and peaceful opportunity to pursue self-maintenance, participate in self-perpetuation, while at the same time enjoying some measure of self-gratification, the sum of all three constituting human happiness. Now, So that sounds like something I think that deep down everybody wants. All right, so let's move on to paper 10. This is where it gets juicy. The evolution of justice. Natural justice is a man-made theory. It is not a reality. In nature, justice is purely theoretic, wholly a fiction. Nature provides but one kind of justice, inevitable conformity of results to causes. Justice as conceived by man means getting getting one's rights and has therefore been a matter of progressive evolution. The concept of justice may well be constitutive constitutive, in a spirit-endowed mind, but it does not spring full-fledgedly into existence on the, world of sp- on the worlds of space. So justice is something that just doesn't happen automatically. It happens because it's something that the spirit endowed mind seeks to it's like hey you know it, you know is it is it f- this the whole idea of fairness is the mind's ability to evaluate you know this versus that you know this person when you when we see two cats fighting or two animals killing each other we understand that's nature but when we see humans do it something kind of goes off in us, and we start thinking, well, that was bad. That's wrong. It's called morality. It's called the ability with a, a spirit-endowed mind to understand values. But it doesn't just happen automatically. It, 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 it is part of progressive evolution that justice evolves. That's what they're saying in that paragraph. Continuing on, uh, primitive man assigned all phenomena to a person. In case of death, the savage was asked not what killed him but who. Accidental murder was not therefore recognized, and in the punishment of crime, the motive of the criminal was wholly disregarded. Judgment was rendered in accordance with the injury done. In the earliest primitive society, public opinion operated directly. Officers of law were not needed. Now I want you to think about what's going on today. In earliest primitive society, public opinion operated directly. What do you see going on right now? Does that look like progressive evolution? Or does it look like retrograde retrogression back into an earlier time where officers of law were not elite, not needed defunding, defunding the police? We hear about this in the earlier days, there was no privacy and privative life. A man's neighbors were responsible for his conduct. Therefore, their right to pry into his personal affairs. That seems to be something that's happening on a cultural level where, you know, you know, people are being called for their statements or their opinions about something. Society was regulated on the theory that the group membership should have an interest in and in some degree of control over the behavior of each individual. Um, and then I'm, I'm going to kind of skip past a lot of this, but there was one line in here. Uh, society, society early adopted the paying back attitude of retaliation, an eye for an eye, a life for a life. The evolving tribes all recognized this right of blood vengeance. Vengeance became the aim of primitive life, but religion has since greatly modified these early tribal practices. The teachers of revealed religion have always proclaimed vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Vengeance, killing in early times, was not altogether unlike present-day murders under the pretense of the unwritten law. Um... Then it says, justice was, and we're skipping ahead to Paper 70, Section 10, Paragraph 13. Justice was thus first meted out by the family, then by the clan, and later on by the tribe. The administration of true justice dates from the taking of revenge from private and kin groups and lodging it in the hands of the social group, the state. So true justice in the early days, was when you would take everything from somebody and give it to the state or the group. Uh, here's uh, laws and courts. Oh, here, here here's the, the line from paper 70 before we go to law and courts, and then we'll wrap things up. When society fails to punish crimes, group resentment usually asserts itself as lynch law. The provisions of sanctuary was a means of escaping this sudden group anger lynching and dueling represent the unwillingness of the individual to, su- to surrender private redress to the state. Now, when I saw that, I was thinking very much of the George Floyd thing because what we saw, when society fails to punish crimes, and in this case, when, when society felt like the police, that, that, or the police officer that had his knee on George Floyd, felt that he got off scot-free, as in the many cases of other black men that have been murdered or killed, uh, and others have gotten off scot free, I think the line group resentment usually assert, asserts itself as lynch law. And I think with social media now being such a great force, it was easy for people, especially after being locked up for three or four weeks, to get angry. Again, seeing, I mean, how many times did we see the video? Like 30 billion times. Somebody figured out 30 billion plays, views, uh, thus far of the George Flint. I mean, you watch that over and over. Group resentment usually will assert itself. And this is where it gets kind of nice, and we'll wrap it up with this. And I want to just share with you that these are descriptions, again, coming from revelators who have seen it all, They've been there, they've done that, they've seen how different worlds um, have evolved over time, different evolution has taken place. And they're sharing that knowledge with us, but also drawing attention to the way that we are evolving. So they're taking us again from the old days of the primitive days and how justice was administered. Now we're moving forward in time to here, these days. It is just as difficult to draw sharp distinctions between mores and laws as to indicate exactly when, at the dawning, night is succeeded by day. Mores and laws and police regulations in the making. When long established, the undefined mores tend to crystallize into precise laws, concrete regulations, and well-defined social conventions. Now I want to make a point here. The outcry now from many of the people that are protesting and a lot of the angst in our society seems to be at this notion that this is a white society, that America or Europe or even the world at large... Uh, is all predicated on white uh what they call what's the word they use when they're trying to describe something that's sort of a patriarchal institutional way you know in, in saying that we're institutionally racist towards people of color. What they fail to realize is that all of these laws that we have and the police regulations, these laws were established by us by our ancestors of all races, of all creeds, and all cultures. Let me read this line again. When long established, the undefined mores. What are undefined mores? Well, that's the way we treat each other. That's all the laws that we have. When we sign our signature, where did that come from? Why is me signing a signature something that can get me in court or I can be charged with a crime? Uh, Undefined mores that go way back in time. And somehow they've crystallized into precise laws. Just think of the way that legal documents are written, and with all the words, the precise words. I had a lawyer once tell me that law is about the preciseness of words, concrete regulations, and well defined social conventions how we get along, the rules of the game. That's what I say, the rules of the game. We agree to these rules. So a small group of people come and they say, well, we don't like these rules. Well, I'm sorry, but your ancestors were part of that process. It goes on to say, law is always at first negative and prohibitive. In advancing civilization, it becomes increasingly positive and directive. So there's some, you know, something to learn here early society operated negatively, granting the individual the right to live by imposing upon all others, you shall not kill. So we are now at that stage where, you know, we are trying to end the death penalty because, you know, in reality, if killing is bad, then why are we killing people, right? This is what the individual is asserting in the, in the, in the current age. In the old age, you were gone. Every grant or rights uh, of liberty to the individual involves curtailment of the liberties of all others, and this is affected by the taboo, primitive law. The whole idea of the taboo is inherently negative, for primitive society was wholly negative in its organization. And the early administration of justice consisted in the enforcement of the taboo, but originally these laws applied only to fellow tribesmen. As illustrated by the later-day Hebrews, who had a different code of ethics for dealing with the Gentiles, and we kind of see this a lot in in Islamic communities in America. They have a whole Sharia law. They have a whole different set of rules and regulations that they apply to. And and in Iran, you have you can be arrested for violating these taboos. And so they're they're what they call earlier uh, well-defined social conventions are not quite as crystallized, but they do have concrete regulations and they adhere to them. Uh, crime was an insult upon the tribal mores. Sin was the transgression of those taboos which enjoyed ghost sanction. And there was long confu- confusion due to the failure to segregate crime and sin. That's a statement having to do with yeah, the fact that uh, it's like you've heard people say just because it's legal doesn't mean it's right. For a long time, crime and sin were sort of considered the same thing. And only in modern times, you know, there are things that are, you know, a transgression of a taboo. For example, sleeping on, you know, sleeping on your partner. You know, having an affair is a taboo. It's wrong, but it's not a criminal offense. And then law is a codified record of long human experience, public opinion crystallized and legalized. The mores were the raw materials of accumulated experience, out of which later ruling minds formulated the written laws. The the ancient judge had no laws. When he handed down a decision, all he said was, it is the custom. And so I want to see if there's a, uh, the great struggle in the evolution of government has concerned the concentration of power. The universe administrators have learned from experience that the evolutionary peoples on the inhabited worlds are best regulated by the representative type of civil government where there is maintained proper balance of power between the well-coordinated executive, legislative, and judicial branch. And I want to end it there. That's uh, the first paragraph in Section 12, Paper 70. The allocation of civil authority. I want you to think about this line as we... uh, kind of say farewell uh, until next time. But I want you to think about this line here. Uh, It's pretty important. It's pretty significant. Uh, The great struggle in the evolution of government has concerned the concentration of power. The universe administrators have learned from experience that the evolutionary peoples on the inhabited worlds are best regulated by the representative type of civil government. Now, what they're saying is that from the universe level of existence looking down on us and having the experience of having all these other evolutionary worlds that they've seen come, I mean, we're planet 606. There's 605 worlds that came before us just in our section of of the, the local universe. And what they're saying is that it's been our experience that the best kind of government for people representative government. That's what we have in the United States, but a government with a proper balance of power between the well-coordinated executive, legislative, and judicial branches. Now we don't have exactly that here. We got a long way to go, don't we? But you, you know, this is coming straight from the top. The universe administrators have learned from experience. That's a major, major statement. The, the most highs of the universe, including Gabriel, all the Melchizedek's, uh, the Veronda deck son, who is a line of furrage, our system sovereign. Well, our experience tells us that, you know, while you guys are trying to figure out what kind of government you want, whether you want a totalitarian government or you want a monarchy or whether you want cartels running your uh, country, what we're telling you is Representative government is the best plan. That's pretty good. But you got to work at it. And you got to make sure that you don't have a out-of-control executive or an out-of-control legislative or an out-of-control judicial. You find balance there and you're probably going to be in pretty good shape. That's what they're telling us. And that's where I'll leave it. It's kind of cool when you can go to the Orange book and, and, and actually look at a plan of action. They knew what we were going to be going through. I can assure you of that. <laughs> so that's going to wrap it up for this uh, episode of the podcast, the Urantia Radio podcast. I always love hearing from you. I, I get some great emails and I'll share them if you've got something you want me to share. But if you just want to write me and tell me how I'm doing, maybe some things that you'd like to hear more of, maybe some things you'd like to hear less of, let me know. Email is UranchaBookRadio at gmail.com, yourancherbookradio at gmail.com. And don't forget, uh, we drop a new episode, sometimes two episodes every week. So you can always check back, follow us on iTunes, Spotify, anchor.fm. And on your smart speakers, just say, Hey Siri, play your Rancher Radio podcast on TuneIn, and it'll probably start playing. Have a good day.